This is the Behind the Line Podcast, coming to you from the wacky left coast capital of Seattle. News from the Pacific Northwest, the left coast, the U.S., and the world that matters. The stories the MSM won't talk about. Deciphering the truth through all the lies. For more, visit BehindTheLinePodcast.com. Well, Washington State Democratic legislators are coming after your guns again. House Bill 1240, if you haven't read up on it. An act relating to establishing firearms-related safety measures to increase public safety by prohibiting the manufacture, importation, distribution, selling, and offering for sale of assault weapons and by providing limited exemptions applicable to licensed firearm manufacturers and dealers for purposes of sale to armed forces, branches, and law enforcement agencies, and for purposes of sale or transfer outside the state, and to inheritors, reenacting and amending RCW 941.010 and adding new sections to Chapter 9.41 RCW creating new sections, prescribing penalties, and declaring an emergency. It goes on to say the legislature finds and declares that gun violence is a threat to the public health and safety of Washingtonians. Assault weapons are civilian versions of weapons created for the military and are designed to kill humans quickly and efficiently. For this reason, the legislature finds that assault weapons are like M16 rifles and thus are weapons most useful in military service. Assault weapons have been used in the deadliest mass shootings in the last decade. An assailant with an assault weapon can hurt and kill twice the number of people than an assailant with a handgun or non-assault rifle. This is because the additional features of an assault weapon are not merely cosmetic. Rather, these are features that allow shooters to fire large numbers of rounds quickly. Even though Washington has already passed a law limiting the size of the magazine to 10 rounds that anybody can have. An analysis of mass shootings that result in four or more deaths found that 85% of those fatalities were caused by an assault weapon. The legislature also finds that this requirement is likely to have an impact on the number of mass shootings committed in Washington. Mm. Studies have shown that during the period the federal assault weapon ban was in effect, mass shooting fatalities were 70% less likely to occur. And there are other studies that show there were no effect on mass shootings. So apparently, it's whatever study you choose to read. Moreover, the legislature finds that assault weapons are not suitable for self-defense. Well, that's nice of you to decide for me. And that studies show that assault weapons are statistically not used in self-defense. The legislature finds that assault weapons are not commonly used in self-defense and that any proliferation is not the result of the assault weapon being well-suited for self-defense, hunting, or sporting purposes. Rather, increased sales are the result of the gun industry's concerted efforts to sell more guns to a civilian market. The legislature finds that the gun industry has specifically marketed these weapons as tactical, hyper-masculine, and military-style, in manner that overtly appeals to troubled young men intent on becoming the next mass shooter. That is a large assumption by a bunch of people who sit in an office all day and never go outside or never use guns or have never held a real job, for that matter. The legislature intends to limit the prospective sale of assault weapons while allowing existing legal owners to retain the assault weapons they currently own. This bill goes on to list 
specific firearms, regardless of which company produced and manufactured the firearm, and it's basically every AR-15 type of rifle or AK-47 that you can think of, and the manufacturer. They also include Barrett 50 caliber rifles as assault weapons. Interesting. This bill is being sponsored by 26 Democrats, no Republicans. Of course, this is a violation of the Second Amendment and our right to keep and bear arms, and their assumptions throughout this bill are pretty far-reaching. Also, unfortunately, their information is incorrect. If you look at official statistics from mass shootings... From 1982 to 2023, handguns are the most common weapon used in mass shootings in the United States, with a total of 160 different handguns being used in 110 incidents between 1982 and February of 2023. These figures were calculated from a total of 140 reported cases over that period, meaning handguns are involved in about 78% of mass shootings. The other piece to this that seems to get widely overlooked is the fact that criminals don't follow the rules when it comes to firearm bans or rules or laws. And if you look at all these big blue cities that have banned firearms, they're gun-free and whatever. They have the highest amount of violence and gun violence in the country. Chicago is a prime example. That place is like a war zone every weekend, every day. Laws like this are illegal, and they are just limiting the rights of law-abiding citizens. Here's another good one from the old Washington legislators, HB 1143, which requires you to obtain a permit to buy any firearm. A new section is added to Chapter 9.41 RCW to read as follows. A person may apply for a permit to purchase firearms with the Washington State Patrol Firearms Background Check Program. An applicant for a permit to purchase firearms must submit to the Washington State Patrol Firearms Background Check Program. A completed permit application is provided in Subsection 3 of the section. A complete set of fingerprints taken by the local law enforcement agency in the jurisdiction in which the applicant resides a certificate of completion of a certified firearm safety training program within the last five years, or proof that the applicant is exempt from the training requirement as provided in Section 3 of this Act, and the permit application fee as provided in Subsection 11 of this section. It appears that the cost for the permit will be $25. Then, of course, you got to pay for the fingerprints, and you're going to have to pay for this firearm safety course, which... Who knows how much that'll cost? A lot. The application for a permit to purchase firearms must include the applicant's full name and place and date of birth, residential address and mailing address, if different from the residential address, driver's license number, state ID number, physical description, race and gender, telephone number, email address, and signature. The application must contain questions about the applicant's eligibility to possess firearms under state and federal law and whether the applicant is a United States citizen. If the applicant is not a United States citizen, the applicant must provide the applicant's country of citizenship, United States-issued alien number or admission number, and the basis on which the applicant claims to be exempt 
from federal prohibitions on firearm possession by aliens. The applicant should not be required to produce a birth certificate or other evidence of citizenship. A person who is not a citizen of the United States shall, if applicable, meet the additional requirements of RCW 941-173 and produce proof of compliance with RCW 941-173 upon application. A signed application for a permit to purchase firearms shall constitute a waiver of confidentiality and written request that the health care authority, mental health institutions, and other health care facilities release information relevant to the applicant's eligibility for a permit to purchase firearms to an inquiring court or the Washington State Patrol Firearms Background Check programs. So, if you've had mental health care in the state of Washington, you could be denied an application for a permit to own a firearm. It goes on to say that they will give you the permit or deny the application within 30 days of the date of application from when it was filed or within 60 days of when the application was filed if the applicant does not have a valid permanent Washington driver's license or Washington State ID. You will be denied a permit if you have any kind of warrant. This includes a misdemeanor or a felony. If you are on any kind of bond or personal recognizance pending trial, appeal, or sentencing for a felony offense, and another of a number of other reasons. It also says in determining whether the applicant is eligible for a permit to purchase firearms, the Washington State Patrol Firearms Background Check Program shall check with the National Incident Criminal Background Check System, NCIC, the, ba the Washington State Patrol Electronic Database, the Healthcare Authority Electronic Database, the Administrative Office of the Courts, Links Northwest, local law enforcement in the jurisdiction where the individual resides to ensure there are no active cases or open investigations regarding this applicant. That may result in the entry of a court order or injunction regarding firearms as specified in subsection 7A2 of this section and with other agencies or resources as appropriate. The Washington State Patrol Firearms Background Check Program shall develop procedures to verify on an annual basis that persons who have been issued a permit to purchase firearms remain eligible to possess firearms under state and federal law and continue to meet other eligibility requirements for issuance of a permit to possess firearms. If a person is determined to be ineligible, the Washington State Patrol Firearms Background Check Program shall revoke the permit under subsection 14 of this section. While they will check you annually, a permit to purchase firearms is valid for a period of five years. A person may renew a permit to purchase firearms by applying for renewal in accordance with the requirements of this section within 90 days before or after the expiration date of the permit. A set of fingerprints is not required for a renewal application if the original set has been retained by the State Patrol. Also, interestingly, it, uh, like I said, the Permit fee is $25, but beginning five years after the effective date of this section, permit fees under this subsection may be adjusted 
on a biennial basis in an amount that does not exceed the average biennial, biennial increase in the cost of providing the service based on a biennial cost study performed by the Washington State Patrol Firearms Background Check Program. Did that make any sense to you? In other words, they're going to raise the price. And this thing goes on and on, and it talks a lot about uh, also um, all the reasons they can take your guns away if you've got any court orders, restraining orders, domestic situations, anything like that. And obviously, this will be a firearms database list of everybody that owns a firearm, which is something firearm owners have railed against for years. This is an intrusion of our privacy, of our rights, big time. This is a totally unconstitutional law they are attempting to pass. So, please, reach out, contact your legislature, legislators and the sponsors of this bill and tell them no. Again, this is House Bill 1143. And another ridiculous firearm bill that Bob Ferguson is backing, 5078, Senate Bill 5078, basically allows for the public to sue firearm manufacturers if their family member is killed with said firearm from that manufacturer. trying to somehow say that the manufacturers are responsible for the firearms getting into the hands of criminals, which is a big stretch. And you tell me, what other industries can we sue manufacturers for when it comes to the death of a family member or somebody? Uh, do we sue car manufacturers when somebody goes out and drives drunk and kills somebody, which happens every day all over this country. This state is all about finding someone else to be responsible for something, whatever's happened, other than the person who did it. Those people are never held responsible. For whatever reason, there is no consequences for criminals in this state. And they are not held responsible for their own actions. This is just another law that will do nothing to stop the problem that they perceive to be going on. And here's a non-gun rule uh, bill you should be aware of. House Bill 5078, which is an act to establish the Domestic Violent Extremism Commission. Established within the Office of the Attorney General for the purpose of establishing a comprehensive public health and community-based framework for responding to domestic violent extremism. It is the intent of this uh, section to build upon the research and findings of the domestic terrorism study assembled by the State Attorney General in 2022. Here's the good part. The commission must consist of the following members, four legislators, one appointed by each of the two largest caucuses of the Senate and one appointed by each of the two largest caucuses of the House, a representative from the governor's office appointed by the governor, a representative from the attorney general's office 
a representative with expertise in public health appointed by the state attorney general. Six representatives from organizations representing groups protected under RCW 9A36080 appointed by the state attorney general, which may include but are not limited to the following. A representative from the black African American community. A representative from the Muslim community. From the Jewish community. From the Asian or Asian American community. From the Sikh community from the Latino community, and from the LGBTQ community, a representative from the general immigrant refugee community, a representative from the African community. The commission must extend an invitation to participate to a representative from the FBI and a representative from the United States Department of Homeland Security and a representative from a federally recognized tribe. The Commission is encouraged to solicit participation and feedback from non-member groups and individuals within relevant, with relevant experience as needed. Do you notice any group that's not included in that whole thing? White people. I mean Jewish people are in there, but uh, European Americans, not included. The only group not included. So does the Attorney General believe that European Americans or white people are the only ones capable of domestic terrorism? What is the purpose of this group? Well, it's to identify community-led and evidence-based solutions to combat disinformation and misinformation, address early signs of radicalization, and develop public health-style responses. Evaluating any future data tracking recommendations around domestic violent extremism, including how data is collected, what triggers data collection, and how to ensure data is not disproportionately used against black, indigenous, and people of color communities and other communities, and evaluating current legal tools, both civil and criminal, and making recommendations for potential new legislation and regulations to address domestic violent extremism. In other words, they're going after your First Amendment right to say things that they don't agree with. Whatever they deem is mis- or disinformation. And we've seen how that's gone over the last two or three years, haven't we? The government deciding what you can think, what you can speak about, what you can post online or whatever, and if they don't like it or it goes against their narrative, then you could be labeled as a domestic violent extremist. This is Big Brother at work. This is just like the federal thing they tried to start that was the Bureau of Disinformation or Misinformation, and they got shot down, supposedly. This is just a state-level... Bureau of State Government telling you what you can think and what you can say, or what you're allowed to think and say. We got to sound off on this stuff, people. We got to make our voices heard. You need to reach out to your legislators and let them know what you think about this. Don't ignore it. House Bill 1333. 
look it up. It's very easy to go sound off on these bills and make your opinion known. It only takes a few minutes. If you go to the Washington State Legislature website at app.leg.wa.gov and you can search for these bills that I've talked about and then you can comment on the bill. You can just send an email right from the website. You can also make sure you get a response from your local uh, legislators, your local representatives, if you want a response. But you can send that, and it does make a difference. Even with these Democrats who support these things, they get enough opposing views. It does make a difference. So just take a few minutes, send an email, and let them know that this is wrong, this is a violation of the Second Amendment, and you don't support it. It's not going to reduce crime. They need to address the criminal issue when it comes to gun violence. They need to start punishing criminals again, incarcerating criminals again, imposing big sentences for gun violence, and quit letting people out early or not keeping them in custody at all. It's up to you to stop this. Thank you for listening to the Behind the Line podcast. If you like this broadcast, please like and share it. Please follow us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, Twitter, Truth Social, Telegram, Gab, Parler, and LinkedIn. You can find our podcast at BehindTheLinePodcast.com, NetNewsNetwork.net, and on Anchor, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and anywhere podcasts can be found. Thank you for your support.